Welcome to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations with Nina Impala. Do you have questions about death? How about events surrounding death? Or perhaps you have questions that need to be answered after death. On this program, we talk frankly and openly about the subject and invite you to share your comments and experiences as well. Now, here is your host, Nina Impala. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. We're happy to have you here today, and thanks for listening live. I am here with Father Nathan today, who's on our show the third Wednesday of every month. And for those of you that are new to uh, Father Nathan's show, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. He is originally from Groves, Texas. He graduated from Trinity University in San Antonio and entered the Dominican Order in 1979. He received his MA and his Master's in Divinity degrees from the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley. California and served in campus ministries in California and Arizona for 27 years. He was pastor and director of the Catholic community at Standard University and also at the All Saints Catholic Newman Center at Arizona State University. He shared the executive board of Catholic Campus Ministry Association. He is the author of Toto II, The Wizard of Oz as a Spiritual Adventure and his new book, which we talk about a lot on his show, Afterlife Interrupted Healing Stuck Souls Crossover. So over the past 22 years, Father Nathan Castle says he's helped at least, well, I'm going to put it at 350 people who died suddenly adjust to the afterlife and they're victims of fire, automobile accidents, shootings, stabbings, drownings. They come to him in his dreams seeking help for resolving their interrupted death experiences. And although such contact with the other side was not something he sought out, Father Nathan has come to believe that providing such help is something the Holy Spirit has given him to do, and it keeps him very busy. Right, Father Nathan? I'm never uh, without the next person to help. <laughs> yes, it's true. So, uh, welcome to the show today. Okay. Today, we're going to be talking about a few different men that um, died, obviously, tragically and uh, violently. And one of the things that you and I have been talking about and that you have observed through your dreams and through helping people, that a person's state of mind, what's in their imagination at the time of their death, determines how the process unfolds. So, I want you to tell us a little bit about that today, what that means to you, and then we're going to talk about Sheriff and uh, that that experience that came through. Okay. Well, um, I think... Imagination, what's in our imagination primarily shapes how we move through a day all the time, you know? True. It, uh, so it's not just about end-of-life issues and how people move in their afterlife, but the, the, the little population that I deal with in this ministry is traumatized folks. And so it's, it's understandable that they would have something in their imagination uh, that got there right at the time of their violent death that stays with them. So what I got from it, and that's exactly right. And the way I was kind of thinking about it in my own life is if I was really angry about something or even talking about these gentlemen today, like if I had a family member that got shot and I couldn't save them, and some kid shot me with this gun that we're going to talk about that is like a plastic gun, and I died, I would be mad. And so, what it's saying is that if you, you die angry, 
you're going to go into the afterlife probably angry too because it's something that needs to be processed as the guardians put it. They've got to process it. It's a grieving thing that they need to go through. Well, I'm working on the next book and, you know, I only speak of stories that I've been given permission to speak about. Correct. So, so the, the, uh, the men that we'll talk about today have already said, go ahead, you can, t- you can use my story. Okay, great. Uh, now, um, I don't know if we're going to talk about um, Virgil today. Uh, he, he was murdered, but so was the sheriff. They were both, they were both murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the sheriff died just red hot angry about it because uh, the person who killed him also killed his sister moments before. Right. Um, the other guy was Virgil was killed by a guy high on drugs that was just looking for money to buy more drugs. And so. he, he felt kind of, he, he has pro- stuff to process yet, but he wasn't furiously angry. He just said, I know a lot of people that are addicts and I don't, I don't feel all angry toward that man. He was more frustrated in a more general way than at the person that took his life. So in a way, it kind of depends on the personality of the person and the way that they live their life. It does, and it can depend upon um, the image that was in their mind at the time of their passing. Understood. And sometimes it really is like uh, a trauma loop, like PTSD sufferers that can't get an image out of their head. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell us Sheriff's story? All right. Well, Sheriff showed up. He's a small town sheriff. Um, he showed me that he saw a spectral version of his sister. He, was a, he wasn't a person given over to any of this kind of thing, spirits and afterlife and all that. But and God. He, and God even, yeah. yeah. He, uh, he had a, a vague church upbringing, but he didn't really pay attention to any of the spirit stuff in, in his adult life. Uh, he was just a business, you know, about business. He was about public safety and his work as a sheriff. But in the middle of his day, he saw a ghost. He saw his sister's face and her hair, and she was upset. And he said that he had never had an experience like that in his life. Uh, he, but he felt like something was terribly wrong, and he went to his sister's house. When he got into her yard, three men, he heard shots, and three strange men came running out of her house onto her porch and one of them was cursing her, uh, and he had a gun in his hand. Mm. And Sheriff uh, realized that the man had probably just murdered his sister and uh, shot him. And didn't he said, I didn't try for an arm or leg. I went for his torso, and I got him and, and killed him. But he had an accomplice who had some little plastic uh, gun that was gotten off the Internet. Yeah, that was odd. Very strange, the gun, uh, the plastic yeah. white gun. Yeah, something I don't know much about that kind of extruded plastic uh, 3D stuff or whatever, but it was some sort of weapon that was not metal, something that could shoot a bullet but wasn't made of metal. Uh, and he and that that killed the sheriff. That probably caught him off guard, too, because it did. It did. Like gun. And he was he was frustrated with himself because he thought he was going on a wellness check. Yeah. He thought maybe his sister had fallen or had a medical emergency or something. Yep. Well, that's the first thing that would come to my mind if I saw one of my family members or had a vision. I think, oh, they're sick or they've fallen or something like that. And you'd have no idea in your head that someone was actually going there was shootings or he was frustrated. He was frustrated at himself because he kind of went against his own training. 
And he pre- he presumed that all was well, except that his sister might be having an, a medical emergency. And instead, uh, it was a violent crime scene. And he said, I know better than to go into, into a crime scene um, without my weapon drawn. And he just he just had a moment's lapse that ended his life. You know, the thing that was very interesting about Sheriff is his ability to focus and process things, even though he was angry. He had a description, which I thought was really fascinating. Um, Sometimes he, and I'm going to just quote what you uh, had in your conversation with him. Sometimes people die doing police work. I was busy dying, so I couldn't be too much of the observer of it. A team of people like paramedics, afterlife first responders, came in and I just and the way he looked at that it was like he knew that they were doing their job while he was laying there on the ground bleeding out yes and he tried to cooperate with them because um, he felt that they um, conveyed a sense of professionalism about their tasks yeah and so why why oppose what they're doing Right, because they were trying to help him. And, and I, I loved that part of him, even though, he, like you said, he had this hot, furious anger. Yes. So, he, so what he, when he was on the other side, was it when he, where he was stuck, it was very interesting because I felt like, and um, I think I'm getting this just directly from what I was reading in your work, is that the guardians were like, you can't go anywhere right now. You're just too angry. Yes, they told him um, that, uh, he was. He, they brought him to the most appropriate place, but his anger uh, limited where they could take him. Yes. And they even uh, they they kind of calibrated his anger the way that you might, um, you know, with a thermometer or some sort of medical equipment that has, you know charts or stuff going on, you know, right. how when, when you get sick with anything, you know, they're out there telling you all kind of numbers about yourself that you didn't know existed. Or high blood pressure. I think well, that was it. One of them. Yeah. That one of them was about, um, they compared it to high blood pressure. And then he made a kind of a joke out of it about, um, how would you like your steak? You know, yeah. <laughs> remember that? <laughs> yeah. Do you want it, you know, pink in the middle or do you want it well done? He was comparing himself to the way that you might order a steak. He needed yes. to, if he was going to move, he was going to have to get cooler. His anger was going to have to cool. So that was his issue. And he was cooperative that way. The other um, aspect of it, I think that's really important for the audience to hear is this was not a man that wanted to talk about God, period. Not at all. Not, even a, not even a little bit. And that's something he brought over with him as well. You know, it's just this isn't about God for him. And he talked about something he said, neither did he want to talk about God. He made that clear enough. He reasoned that lots of people aren't interested in religion and that there must be a way. The afterlife accommodated him. They, they said that there, he, he said something about going through a side door. Then that's the, the way it was worded in here. It's just like, well, they have people like me go through a side door because he's not coming through the front door because he didn't pray or because he didn't believe in God. That was kind of this, that's kind of what he thought about himself. Yeah, he was a little uh, surprised that, that he was brought to me because I'm a priest. Yeah. And, and I think that the, the guardians on the other side make that very clear that just because you're a priest doesn't mean that you're, there's going to be judgment if he didn't believe in God. You're just helping. Yeah, they, they, they said something about, well, yes, he's a priest, but he has a reputation of letting people be however they need to be. Yeah, 
Yeah, I loved that about him. So he he really tried, even though his his anger was so bad, it was almost like he reminded me of a little kid. You know, he was really trying hard to keep it under control. But there were certain things I get the sense that he if he talked about them, it it would start to elevate it again. Yes, he and uh, they he he is still quite angry at the person who killed his sister and at the person who there there were three men all together and one of them killed his sister and one of them killed him and he's still quite angry at both of them but he's at least ratcheted his anger down to the point where he was able to move from one level to the next which was yeah. what my prayer partner and I, and I helped do yeah and it's really beautiful but and he's very open about his anger and he said in, in one point that because you know father nathan is it with a lot of the people sometimes they're not able to talk to the people that were involved in the accident when they're with you that's usually something that seems like it's left for something else i'm you sorry know, i'm not i don't i'm not clear on what you just said would you repeat it so a lot of times like with him you know if if anybody i noticed this in a couple of the people that we've talked about that if we bring up the other people that were involved in the accident, mm-hmm. it's almost like it's not time yet to talk to them or it's too soon. And for him, he talked about that he it would inflame him and that that very anger is something that he's trying to temper down, right? Yeah, so that's right. So if we start talking about the other people that killed him, you know, is there healing or forgiveness that happens it seems like that even takes more time from your work that when I'm reading. Does that make sense? Yes, now? yes. And I I think this whole thing is a healthcare continuum. Yeah. That and, sounds and no one counselor is the whole picture in somebody's healing. Yeah. And I know that I, I'm not asked to do the whole thing. I'm just asked to do a part. You're a one level. So I do my part. Yeah. Like you get him through the beginning part, and then once he's established who he's going to cross with, which was another sheriff that he never got to meet, right? And it was, um, I think he was part of the, like a teaching part of the police academy or something. No, he was the founder. um, His name was uh, Chief Glenn. He was the founder of the small town police department that uh, sheriff was a part of. And he only saw his picture. He never really met him. Yeah, I've seen this happen several times now where uh, you know, a lot of organizations that have buildings mm-hmm. have, have some sort of a collection of photos in the lobby or somewhere of the founders. Mm-hmm. You know, think of the first graduating class of any school you were ever in. They're, right. They're, you know, are the, the founding principal. Or, and in, in this case, it was a sepia tone, you know, brownish photo of this uh, Chief Glenn, who was the founder of this small town police department, and Sheriff had never met him, uh, yeah. but but saw his picture all the time, yeah, right, right there on the wall, and so Sheriff Glenn was the one that I mean, uh, Chief Glenn is the one who came for Sheriff. Sheriff never did tell us his name, and it wasn't critical that he do so. No, and I know I get that it, it's the same. No, it wasn't it wasn't critical that he did, and the fact that he saw you know the. Chief Glenn, and he felt some comfort in that. It's and it is always amazing what brings them comfort too. What makes them comfortable? I should say, you know, like it couldn't be a family member. Sometimes it just needs to be somebody that could really understand. Like when you're grieving, somebody that that knows what you've been through and knows what you're feeling. 
That's yes. what it reminds me of. Uh, you know, we all have areas of expertise or spheres where we're very comfortable, as mm-hmm. you are with death and dying and hospice work and all of that. Yeah. Uh, when when he passed, they they shared an interest in law enforcement. And there's plenty of people in the afterlife who have served in law enforcement. Yeah, so that's, true. that's where they, uh, that's where he was most comfortable. And so it was just natural that, that the person who came for him was um, somebody that uh, knew the score about that. Well, it's interesting to be able to, you know, and through your work, we get to sometimes hear how they're doing later. And uh, I'll be interested that with that with Sheriff that, you know, is he gets to a place where he's no longer mad anymore, no longer angry anymore. You know? Well, we did at least go back to him a second time because we needed to get his permission to include his story in a book. Yes. And so yes. I have had a little bit of an update with him. Um, I like this line. Uh, he, he was inside me and he was talking to my sister through me. And he said, uh, your brother can't help but think of me as Andy Taylor, the sheriff in Mayberry. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, know. I, I thought that was pretty cute. <laughs> and he said, I know that show. He was a small town sheriff like I was, but Andy Taylor never had to see Aunt B shot in her house or had to stand on his lawn and get murdered. I know. Yeah. I know. That was a sweet part that he put there. And I just went, I know, I know. But he'll, he'll get through it. And I know that he's going to get all the help that he needs. He will. But, he will. And, it looks like we have to go to break, Father Nathan. When we okay. come back, we're going to talk about the two um, gentlemen, our next two gentlemen that uh, both died in car crashes. It'll be interesting to talk about that. Okay. So we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling. Sessions are not just 50 minutes, but a full hour. When you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina and Paula are $250, and if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener and living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are 
listening to Inspiring End of Life Conversations. If you have a question for Nina Impala or her guest today, call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to tutoringforthespirit at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Okay, and we're back with Father Nathan Castle. So, Father Nathan, the other two um, people that I really want to talk about today are, well, first we're going to talk about Brady. And uh, Brady died in a car accident, and I'm going to have you tell us about that. And we're going to go a little bit into trauma loops, which I think a lot of people, if you've had someone die in your life or you've watched someone die, you know what a trauma loop is. But we'll get into that a little deeper. So, tell us what happened to Brady, Father Nathan. He came uh, in... uh October of last year in a dream. And he showed me being in a car with a friend, with a guy friend. And then they, they were probably in their thirties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with three women, probably in their sixties. And he thought that's kind of an odd combination. I, uh, I didn't kind of know what are these five people got in common. It turned out they were um, the two guys were best friends and coworkers. They were both divorced uh, Brady didn't have any kids, but his friend did. And one of the women was a fellow co-worker that was also going to this baseball game with a couple of, of her girlfriends. Okay. So they were all just carpooling to a, to a baseball game. Okay. And what do you think, what was, what was Brady's biggest issue? We had trauma looping and orientation towards time is what you felt about him. Yeah. He, um, in the, his his friend was driving uh, unsafely, and Brady had just buckled his seatbelt because he didn't feel safe because of the way the guy was driving. And uh, just moments after that, there was a, a multi-car collision, and the car that he was in began to leave the road to the to the right hand side, and. Brady was in the in the rear passenger seat. So he was, uh, whatever they were going to hit, it was going to hit right where he was sitting. Wow. So he was conscious that, oh, crap, you know, there's no engine between me. There's no bumper. Whatever whatever we hit is going to come right through the side here. And so he, he, well, he, he, it did. But he had a fear, a fright just before the impact that this could happen. Yeah. And, Unfortunately for him, in his afterlife, he kept replaying that scene. Yeah. Uh, and he, you know, he needed to be coaxed out of it. And he, and he was, but it took some time. Yeah. His, he talks a lot. Well, his guardian comes through first. His guardian, Felix, seems to come through first yes. when you were working with him. And why do you think, why does that happen sometimes that the guardian comes through, you think? Before? Sometimes, sometimes I'm not clear. Remember, it's a dreamscape and dreams always need some interpretation. Yes. And sometimes the elements in them uh, are quite literal and other times they're some more symbolic. And when my prayer partners and I, after we say our protective prayers and we try to get down to work, sometimes I'll say in the Holy Spirit, I'll say, I'm not sure who we're helping. Mm. And, or I don't, sometimes I can't tell gender. Yeah. Um, and I asked, may I please have a little more clarity about who it is we're going to help today? Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a whole field of people yeah. uh, and we're only going to help one of them or, or only going to talk to one of them. So sometimes I'll ask for their guardian 
to come forward and, and supply some information that helps us do our jobs. Gotcha. Well, you know, with Brady, what was really interesting with Brady is he was just a really happy man. He yes, liked, he was. He liked to be positive. He liked to have fun. He liked to be with friends. And one of the main themes I think that the Guardians were helping him with is that he was always in the future. He was always planning ahead. Yeah, he was a youngish guy. He didn't say exactly how old he was, but I had, you know, early 30s. It was kind of the way he felt. He had had an unfortunate uh, short marriage that ended in divorce with no kids. Yeah. So, so there was some, you know, heartbreak around that, but he had gone on about organizing his life. He owned a home and he had a dog and he had a job. And, uh, but he didn't like coming home to an empty house every night. Yes. So he, he took it upon himself to be what he called the cruise director. Yep. I he, got that. He organized other people's uh, activities so that he would have things on his calendar. Yes. Now, speaking to the audience, this is something that I, I think is important to note is that, you know, a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this myself, and Father Nathan and I were talking about that, is, is making plans if, you know, people that are maybe living alone or people that are lonely, you kind of want to keep busy sometimes. And you're constantly in the future and keeping your calendar really, really full. And although that's good, it also, though, takes away from you living in the present. And I really felt that, like, with Brady, it's it's kind of a big lesson, Father Nathan, you know? I mean, I think with Brady, what they've been working on so much with him over there from everything that I was reading is that. Is, is keeping him present and keeping him in, in the time that he's in in the afterlife as opposed to, and then putting this with the trauma loop, going over and over again about the past. Yes, he had told us that he really didn't want to go anywhere near a history book. Yeah. He didn't like history. He didn't like the past. And he said, I really didn't. He said, I only use the present to tee up the future. Yeah, wow. That's that's. That's a big deal. Yeah. Like, he, he said most of the time in the present, he was thinking about what he's going to do next. Yeah. And I appreciate that because I have some of that too. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going on 65. I've had a chance. I've lived long enough to move through some seasons in my life where I tried to make some changes. And one of them earlier was getting still, you know, being still in the present moment. And, yep. and I think it's kind of a challenge for all of us you know, to do that. And the way he was talking about it and what the guardians are showing him and teaching him, oh, no, we're not going to go there. Let's just, let's just stay right here and be here. Yeah. One of the things that he said was, I got so used to planning the future that when my life ended on the side of a highway, all of my future plans ended at the same time. And it just seemed so futile. Yeah. He put, denied a future I had already planned. Now, every plan I ever made is just smashed against a tree, and that's all there is to it. Yes. And now in the afterlife, they're asking me to make plans. Yeah. And who the hell wants to make plans when you just, <laughs> you just yeah. went through, through having yeah. them all kind of blow up in your face? Yeah. He, yeah. And he, what else did he say? Anything I ever in, invested in could just be ripped away and left in pieces on the side of the road. He said, I needed grieving for that. And so I felt like that's, that was part of that grief was having to grieve all of his plans that never came to fruition. Yes. Which happens uh, to all of us. It happens to the best of us. 
And then they had to say to him, well, okay, you can keep thinking that, but um, don't you see that you're unhappy? Yeah. Do you want to stay unhappy for, for all eternity? You know? Yeah, right. You, you, nobody's making you do this. You're the one that's making yourself unhappy. You could change and we'll help you. So another interesting thing that he did say was planning was connected to joy. Yes. So being able to find your joy without having a plan, that's an interesting thing to really think about. You could go pretty deep with that. What does it mean to be happy? And even though you don't have a plan, you have to be here now and in the present moment. Yes. And they, taught, they put it to him, you know, you, uh, he, had, he had an underdeveloped sense of the importance of the past. And they pretty much told him, we don't care about it that much either. <laughs> We're more interested in the present. So yeah. we sort of share a common disinterest in the past, yes. except, except you're in a trauma loop and you keep returning to the past. You told us you don't even like it. And it's just about all you do now is think about your accident. Yeah. So they had to try to challenge him and say, this will end when you choose for it to end. The trauma loop. Yeah. So uh, was he the one that one of them said the one thing that the one guardian said to him, how about let's try something different? Yes. And that's just a simple statement. How about let's try something different than being in a trauma loop? Yes. You can go back to it because you already know so well how to do it. There's no question that if we, if we take a break from it, you feel like you want to go back to it. Well, that'll be easy. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen that with other uh, trauma loops are pretty common in the work that I do and my prayer partners do. Yep. And, I and, see it a lot in grief too. I mean, I yeah, see it with the living as well. It's, exactly. And so have I. And one of, the, one of the things that as a counselor that I've done with people with the living here uh-huh. is say, well, okay, uh, but let's, let's turn your imagination to something else temporarily. Mm-hmm. And let's, let's get you uh, excited about something. So, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, and and you can, if you need to feel the need to go back to that trauma loop, well, it's always there. Yeah. Uh, but let's Don't get you, see there. if we can't get, yeah, let's see if we can't get you interested. And then after a while, uh, it's, it's pretty much grief work, don't you think? Uh, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Because I've, I, you know, I do have a family right now that I'm thinking about right now that I know it's new for them. And it, it, it starts to kind of go away with time. I had a trauma loop with my own mom, uh, a scene that I saw her walking down the hallway. It was really difficult because she was struggling. It took me a really long time to kind of wipe that out of my memory and go, you know, Nina, that's not her anymore. She's not like that anymore. You know, she's in her afterlife and she's a happy woman, you know. Yeah, and sometimes it's not wiping out. Sometimes it's just kind of almost like recording over it. Oh, that's a good way to put it. You, yeah. You, uh, you, you just create, uh, and sometimes life does this. When people say time heals all wounds, mm-hmm. well, maybe not all wounds, but, but one of the things that happens in time is new experiences occur, and many of them are pleasant. Yeah. And you begin to have uh, recent memories of pleasant things, mm-hmm. maybe new relationships, mm-hmm. uh, n- new seasons in your life, and that that trauma is still back there, but it doesn't necessarily have the power that it once did. And knowing that you're going to meet new people. You know, death does that. It brings new people into our life. Some people leave because they're not comfortable with what happened to you. But then there's new people that, you know, I believe God brings in to help you through it. And in, in the afterlife, it's so interesting. I'm going to read you this little part. Um, it was when he was talking to Margaret and he says, thank you, Margaret for this very unusual work that you do. And here it is. I've gotten used to the unusual as perhaps you will after you die and find that you're not dead. And that now 
and that you now are the same, but very different and with people who are familiar, but very different and also very strange. <laughs> yes. yes. I just love that description. <laughs> you know, I just love it because he's, they're familiar. They're familiar people, but they're all very different and very strange because they've, they're all living in the afterlife and not on earth anymore. So it's like the way he describes that, it's like, I have to get used to all of these new people and all of these new experiences. Yes. And, and they reminded him, you told us about yourself that you are very at home in the future. Yes. And what we're trying to get you to do is to have one because right now you're sticking around in that trauma loop in the past. Wow. Yeah, that's right. That's what they're trying to help him with. So they were just saying this, you're making this harder than it has to be. You're, you're yeah. already good at, at living in the future. All we're trying to do is kind of get you to come back onto that turf. Yes, it's true. It's true. Also, you know, the other thing that was interesting about Brady was he kept referring to the helicopter crash with Kobe in it. I didn't get that part, why he kept going back to that. Was there something he was worried about? Yeah, um, we were doing this um, bef- while... Um, Kobe Bryant and all the the others, was it six or seven people that died in that helicopter yeah. crash? Wow, has it they, been that long already? Yeah, they hadn't yet been buried. And, uh, and you know, I don't know if you remember, but there was a big outpouring that lasted for more than a week in the media. That's right. Uh, and, of course, you live in Southern California where it might have been even more than that. Um, yep. But um, uh, he, he was saying, if you can imagine the earth having like a vibrational field around it. Yeah. Um, what, how, however this works, the physics of it, what's it like for somebody to move in an afterlife realm into my dream and into my awareness and use my voice? Uh, he had to move through that somehow. And he said he had to kind of walk around it. Oh. Like, it, that, like the grief that coming up from the earth ar- around this event Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Okay, so that's that, what he was getting to. That it had a kind of physics about it. That mm-hmm. right now the earth is upset um, because of the death of the basketball player and the young lives. Wow, that's fascinating, Father Nathan. Well, it had in part to do because there were several young, there were several children killed. Yeah. And several young parents who were doing exactly the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, accompanying their kids through competitive sports and yep. trying to help them aim high. And it was a whole bunch of people with bright futures uh, where it all, you know, uh, crashed all at once. Yeah. And, and a lot of people, I think, identified a lot of people had Kobe Bryant's poster over their bed as kids or something like that. And yeah. anyway, once in a while, there's a death that, that affects people. Uh, and, he, and that he was just saying, um, you know, coming to you today, I have to move around this because it's kind of in the way. Big, Yeah, yeah. they could feel it. And yes. I bet that too, because I think, you know, um, prayers are energy too. Yes. So there was a lot of activity in the afterlife that day. It's really interesting and in how that would show up for him. So that's, that was really, that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. So moving along, he, um, he had... Um, another gentleman seemed to come through. There was a couple different things so th- that he talked about. Well, first of all, it was moving, moving forward. And there was something about motion, motion yeah. Yeah. to move towards the next thing. And that seemed kind of foreign to him. And it was, seemed like it was something he was really trying to wrap his brain around. That he was moving to the next thing. It was time to get moving is what I got from that. 
Yes, he, he and remember he died in motion. He, right. he, was, he was in a moving vehicle and, okay. uh, and he died when it was in a collision and, and came to a stop. And we were, we were sitting here in my uh, casita on the uh, University of Arizona campus and there's a streetcar that goes right out my window. Oh, okay. And the streetcar went by and he noticed that. Interesting. Uh, and then I think it went by a second time. They, they come and go, you know, pretty frequently. So he equated that with having to move forward. Well, he just looked out the window and said, I can see that there's a streetcar. He was looking through my eyes, oh, that's but, but, he, but he was looking out my window and oh. said, oh, I see a streetcar over there. And I'm, something about, you know, I know that I'm here to get moving. Well, he said, he said with that, he said, I'm getting impatient about moving because in the afterlife, because moving is why I'm here going to the next place. And the next thing is the primary reason that you and I are together. Yes. So he was wrapping his brain around that, that he had to get move forward. Yes. It was time to get moving. Okay, good. So enters Paul. Yes. Uh, if any of your listeners have read my, uh, my afterlife interrupted book, um, Paul was in that story. He was an 18-year-old in the probably about eight, about 1953 or four, somewhere mm-hmm. along in there. Uh, it just he and his friends had just graduated high school. They were on a double date. He had borrowed his grandmother's car, yeah. uh, and he accidentally drove them all off the end of a pier into a okay. lake. We, we're going to come back to this. We have to stop for another break, and we're going to come back to and finish about Paul and Brady. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling. Sessions are not just 50 minutes, but a full hour. When you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina and Paula are $250. And if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener and living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. If you have a question for Nina Impala or her guest today, call into our program 
at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to tutoringforthespirit at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Okay, we're back with Father Nathan. So, Father Nathan, we were talking about Paul, who's coming in to help Brady, and you were just beginning to tell us a little bit about Paul. Paul died in a car crash as well as Brady, so the afterlife put them together. Yeah, Paul was the driver in, in the accident that killed him and, and, his, and his companions. Uh, but the thing about Paul was he was graduating high school with no plan of what he was going to do next. He was just going to get a summer job, that's all. Completely different than Brady. Absolutely. Brady was all about the future all the time, and Paul was all about the present all the time. <laughs> so they were well paired. They were. They both shared trauma loops. They did. Um, Paul, Paul's trauma loop was explained in Afterlife Interrupted. He, he, his wasn't so much the experience of driving off the end of the pier. Yes. His, the thing that he was stuck about is how could his life have been so senseless? Oh, right. It needed to have meaning. And how could his entire life end in such a meaningless way? And he needed it to, he insisted that it have meaning. And he, he ground and ground and ground. He was in a trauma loop about it has to mean something. And it turned out that my prayer partner, uh, John, uh, got him to think about, he called himself minus four man. Like yeah. the, the, the woman with the scarlet letter. You know, yep. uh, he wore, instead of a red A, it was a minus four on his chest that he had subtracted four lives from the earth. And my pr- partner said, but you haven't seen the other three. It sounds like they all crossed. I think you're minus one man. <laughs> and he said, what if we used algebra to get you over to the other side? If the equal sign in the middle, you know, in, a, in algebra, you have something equals something else. And then you have to solve for X or Y. Yes. Uh, that's that's the way that happened. And he his high school principal came with a, with a football jersey with a one on it and said, Pierre, put this on. You'll become plus one, you know, minus one, plus one. <laughs> you know. That's good. That was good yeah. for him. He, it, it's, it's interesting to, wa- you know, to listen to how they're coming along, as I said earlier in the show. And Paul really liked the idea of being able to help people because I think it just it helps he- he- heal them. Yes. And Brady said, uh, this guy that's coming for me, you already know him. And um, he kind of needs to get back on the horse. Uh-huh. He had died behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. And, and he needs to trust that it's safe for him to drive again. And drive somebody around. Yes. that he, he, The fact that he made one mistake doesn't have to mean that he can never again for all eternity be a part of helping somebody move. That's so cool. There's a paragraph here. I'm going to read it only because I think whether you're on this side or you're on that side, this is a really important piece that I think that all of us could use if we're looping or worried about something. And he said, they have said to me many times when I was still contemplating, what do you think it would be like if you are easier on yourself? What do you imagine it would be like if you weren't so hard on yourself about what happened? It was never a should or shouldn't, but they invited me to imagine. What if I was the only one thinking that I was at fault or responsible or could be guilty? What if I imagined that no one else was thinking that way? 
would that help me because I'm able to move away from that kind of thing? Nobody came up and said, stop it. You need to do this now. They just invited me to imagine what it would be like if I moved outside of that thought loop. Yes. That's just such a gentle way when someone is beating themselves up over something to just say, hmm, be curious. What would it be like if you decided to do this? What would it be like if you took the fact that not everybody's thinking the same way you are? So mm-hmm. that's, and, and having to solve the problem, that actually gave him a way to kind of solve his problem, would you say? Yes. Yeah. I would too. And it seemed like it really helped him. It's so interesting how they pair each other up. I mean, who's in charge of that? <laughs> yeah. And then, always got to wonder about that, you know? It, you know, my career has been in campus ministry, and campus ministry is largely a peer-led ministry if, if you're good at it. You're not doing all the work. You're training college students to do the work. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you get the sophomores to turn around and help the freshmen. Um, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And this, is, uh, this runs through the work that I do. I see that as soon as somebody has um, mastered some little skill, they're told, would you help the next person do that? Yeah. I mean, in life, I think we should all kind of be that way, you know? And I mean, obviously, you and I do it in, in who we are and what we, what, how we walk in the world. But I think that, you know, it's, it's important to remember that other people have had pretty traumatic things happen. Yes. And when we can find those people and click with them, it's like, you know, it's like I facilitated a suicide um, group in a hospital for a summer, a couple summers ago, I was interning and I, and I went and I just sat there and listened. It was probably a group of anywhere from 10 to 15 people. And it was pretty remarkable because what these people did is they all became very close because they all had this one thing in common of someone that had committed suicide. Mm-hmm. They had dinners together. They would go out together and they became their own little community. Yes. You know, and I think when people can keep that in mind when there's tragedy and you and I've talked about this where you know that new things are coming. If and what, was the script that you're talking about different genders, ages, economic statuses? Yes. Yes. But suicide effects just, you know, it runs, it cuts across all those divisions. Yep. And, and it, it's almost like that didn't even matter. You know, Father Nathan, it was like yeah. there was a couple of moms there. There was a couple of spouses. Yes. There were a couple of um, just people who lost their partners. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was just very humbling for me to sit there and just watch what would take place when I actually had stepped out and became quiet for them so they could just speak and I listened. Well, they, that's kind of how we ran the group. We didn't offer a lot of fixing. We just gave them a safe place to gather with people that had had a very similar traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. And it made all the difference in the world for those people. And I really think that, you know, the work that you're doing on the other side is very, it's very much like that because it's almost like, you know, and I was thinking about this today with Paul, you know, it's like this group of people that you work with, I feel like they almost all kind of know each other in the afterlife. Oh yeah, I was helped by the priest. Yep, I was helped by the priest too. And then they kind of get together and do things that way. And I I talk to them in prayer and I group them. 
Yes. You know, I ask, I call them my book people. And right now, I, because I have a new book coming out, I call one of them the sophomore class and the other the freshman class. The, the ones that are going to be in the new book are the freshmen and the ones who are in the previous book are the sophomores. And they know that. And, wow. and uh, That's so some, a good way to do it. Yeah. And so some of them, well, I'm campus minister. I'm used to, you know, I live yes, on Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you are kind of good at that. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, they, they, uh, they, get, they don't automatically know each other, but when you call them together at the same time, it's proximity. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not exactly in a room, but they're in something like it. They can, yeah. see, they can see each other and they know that they have uh, me in common. So in your, let's talk a little bit about your next book um, because you're, you're getting very close to completing it. Do, do, can we know the title? When I know it, I'll let you know. Okay. <laughs> You're still waiting for that to come through, are you? This, this is my third book, and I learned from other authors uh, not to title your book until it's finished. Oh, wow. Okay. That and, that, good. and that your book will tell you its name. Is it going to kind of take the same format as yes. Life Interrupted? Yeah, it'll have, I want it to have some sense of brand. So I'll have the word afterlife in it and probably some of the graphics from the cover of the previous book. Mm-hmm. And maybe it'll be, you know, like a movie sequel. Oh, you know, yeah. Once okay. you have the brand sort of established, you, you, you know, want to kind of build on it. And well, some, go ahead. The, story, the stories are so similar, uh, except I won't use the word stuck this time. I help, uh, uh, my subtitle was Helping Stuck Souls Crossover. Yes. Um, but I know now that they're not all stuck. They're, they're, um, they're just, they're in, they're all in the appropriate place, but it isn't necessarily because of stuckness. Sometimes it's just, they needed to rest. That's a really good way to put it. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you've learned. Yes. You know, yeah. Well, originally I thought they were all stuck. Yeah. Uh, like they had, you know, got in a snowdrift or, you mm-hmm. know, in the, in the mud or something. And, that's not exactly the case. Sometimes they just are moving at a slower pace because that's what's most appropriate given their circumstance. Yeah. And, you know, when, when I can think of just a few of them off the top of my head, like the sheriff, he needs, he needs to rest. You know, he just needs to chill out. He needs to be able to kind of relax. I don't f- feel like he's stuck. He's just needing help with his anger. <laughs> yeah. And he said straight up that he, he said, I know that some people use their dying breath to forgive the person that killed them. Yeah. He said, not me. <laughs> I don't want to forgive that guy yet. No. Maybe, I, maybe I will later, but not right now. And isn't it so interesting that he's not judged for that? No, no, he's not. People just said, well, of course you're angry. You, you were murdered. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I, I think in one of them, someone said, well, none of us have been in exactly the circumstance that you were. But you're, yeah. he, but you're here and we're here and we can help each other. Yeah. Yeah, it's really beautiful the way all that takes place. There was an, a couple of other ones, you know, where just the whole uh, three words, rest in peace, have taken a whole nother meaning for me. Yes. You know, when, and even in, you know, I mean, just in my Catholic faith in the Mass, you know, where we tell somebody to uh, rest in peace or may their souls be at rest. I get it now. Now that it, it's like really clear to me what that means now it's if someone wasn't ready to die or it was time for them to go or they left children behind or something like that we you don't know, know we don't always think of rest or sleep being purposeful yeah but it really is i know there's a, there's a reason that we go to sleep <laughs> because yeah. our bodies Are need tired. to be refreshed yes um and so they're not just it's not just bland or blank uh indifferent 
they're resting because their system needs to uh, recharge. You know, I've got an interesting question for you, Father Nathan, and I can't remember if I've asked you this before. Is everybody that you've worked with from the United States? Oh, no. No. In fact, I've been dealing with some people from the Middle East. In the new book, there's going to be a man. Maybe we talk about him on the next show. Okay. Uh, He died in one of those attacks on a mosque. Okay. In Iraq. He died praying. And he said, my prayers angered them (laughs) because I was the wrong kind of Muslim. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because I was curious about that, you know, just because in, you know, in the, in the United States, we do not know how to rest. My cousins in Italy tell me that all the time, that you Americans don't, you don't rest. You just keep going all the time, which is, I don't know, maybe that's true for us, but the importance of rest and what happens to people when they die and they just need to rest, you know, it's just, you just got to rest however you died. It's just been very interesting. It's just all so interesting to me. And um, just kind of summing up the show today, I think the importance of our trauma loops in our life, no matter what people are experiencing on this side or the other side, is just real important to, you know, it'll come up, but just don't linger there. And I think that's just a really important thing and know that it'll get better, just like it does in the afterlife. It will get better and it won't be as intense. And I wanted to see if there's anything that you wanted to leave us with today, Father Nathan, before we go. We've got about a minute. Oh, just the um, the little commercial thing at the end, my website. Is, yes. <laughs> I've been on enough interviews to know that's the way you're supposed to do it. Uh, yes. Nathan-Castle.com. That's correct. Uh, you, there's, if you'd like to talk with me, there's, a, you know, one of those little, in the upper left, a little uh, email click, you know, where you can send me an email if you'd like to talk about something. Yeah, I'm Father and Nathan's all over. He's easy to talk to. He's easy to, to find. And he's open about talking about the afterlife if you need him. And I'm sheltering in place. And so I'm not running all over the country. I'm not as busy as I used to be because I can't. No. <laughs> I'm trying to write a book and get that. Yes. Uh, so it's not that I'm, I have nothing to do. Well, but, by, uh, the, by the next show, we'll know more about the book and perhaps a title, Father Nathan. Yeah, I think so. A month from now, we'll have a title. Okay. Well, thanks so much for being on today. I totally appreciate it. And we will see you next month. Okay. God bless you. God bless you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Another show wraps up on Inspiring End of Life Conversations. Thank you so much for joining us today. And just, I'm just going to end the show today with just reminding you to be gentle with yourself, no matter what you're going through, where you're at right now, and be present in your own life and know that things always get better. They just do. Take care. God bless you. Bye-bye. We hope you have found hope in this week's edition of Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. Please join your host, Nina Impala, for another program next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again soon.